So yeah, I, I was thinking, where do we go next? We've had a good series on the attributes of God that nobody talks about anymore in most of the modern church. And I couldn't help but think we need to talk a little bit about the love of God. And where do you go? John 3.16, of course. This is where you go. You go to John 3.16. And then as I studied through the chapter, I realized <laughs> the context of John 3.16. Start this way and I'll try to end this way if I can remember. But the context of John 3.16 are two doctrines before before John 3.16 and after John 3.16, two doctrines that much of the modern church ignores or hates. Okay? So I want us to think about this. I want us to look at this. This beautiful verse about the love of God and how He's loved and shown His love through His Son. But listen, I, one thing I hope you learn from being at ICM for however long you're here is context matters. And you don't get to just rip a verse out of context and say, oh, here it is. This is all truth. Context always matters. It's, it's one thing you obviously learn in seminary. Don't ever, 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 ever rip a verse out of context and build your life on it or build your salvation on it or your theology on it. Never, ever do that. What is being said before the verse? What is being said after the verse? It matters. Okay? It matters. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So what's going on in John 3? Most of you know. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's at the top of the food chain in Jerusalem. He's pretty proud of himself. I think he thinks, I want to seek out this Jesus. I, I, we know he must be from God. He's doing these signs. But I think Nicodemus maybe comes to Jesus and expects Jesus to be impressed because he's a perfect Jew. Okay, Nicodemus is a perfect Jew. And he is a Pharisee. He's in the religious body that rules the nation, right? I mean, he's checked all the boxes, just like some of us. We've, we've checked all our denominational boxes, right? Nicodemus has done this. He, know, he knows God's proud of him, right? He knows God's proud of him. How could God not be proud of him? He is, again, at the top of the food chain in Jerusalem. So he's talking to Nicodemus. Okay, I want us to see context preceding John 3.16 and context subsequent to John 3.16. And I'll just tell you on the front end, this is what we're going to see, okay? And we'll go through the text. This is what we're going to see. Be preceding John 3.16, we see God's high and decisive sovereignty in the salvation of His people. Most of the modern church never talks about this. You know, salvation is just, oh, just pray this prayer and you're in. It's way bigger than that. If we read our Bibles, it's way bigger than that. And Jesus talks about that this morning. The second thing, after John 3.16, Jesus, you heard me read that, that part of the text there. He starts talking about judgment. Actually, in John 3.16, He mentions the word perish. Some will perish. Okay? 
the most famous verse in the Bible about the love of God, he's saying some will perish. That's the implication. The man who comes to Christ will not perish. The implication is those who don't will. So I, I want you to understand context. It matters. You can't just rip a verse out of context. And we'll see that as we go through the text. So let me read John 3, 1 through 8, which leads us into John 3, 16. And it reveals just how deep and everlasting and supernatural and mysterious the love of God is. He starts talking to Nicodemus about what? Who knows? What does he say to Nicodemus? What's the first thing Jesus says to Nicodemus? You got to be born again. You got to be born again. <laughs> this is the first thing he says to him, right? We'll get into that in just a minute. But what I want to say to you is, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it's Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. Let me just read that to you first. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. God, the Father chose us in the Son before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Here it is, in love. I think this should be maybe the most important verse in the Bible about the love of God. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Now, let me let me go back. I'm going to pick up here in John 3, verse 1. John 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And I know I fear I just think Nicodemus is waiting to hear Jesus commend him on all his religiosity. Right. And all his morality, and all his law-keeping, and all his religion, and all his do-gooding. And Jesus pierces him in the heart. And, and isn't this what the Word of God does? It pierced him in the heart. The Son of God says to him, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom. So Jesus, as he often does, he's talking up here. Nicodemus is thinking down here. This is a huge problem for many Christians. We don't allow our, our thoughts to be elevated, right? To be elevated before the Word of God. God is talking up here. Men are thinking down here. So, he says, you got to be born again. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he's old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Okay, when I talk to people who want to be baptized, I start at John 3. Verse 3. Have you been born again? How do you know? How do you quantify that? I don't want to baptize somebody because they want to join the church. I don't want to baptize somebody because they want to check a box. I don't want to baptize somebody because they're scared of hell. I will only baptize someone if they can convince me they're born again. It's a supernatural thing. I can't see it. It's like the wind. You can't see the wind. This is the analogy Jesus uses. You can't see the wind, but what? You can see the effect of the wind. 
right? On the trees and everywhere else, you see the effect of the wind. You can't see the wind. I can't see a born. I can't look into the heart and see if it's born again. But I can maybe discern it on their tongue, maybe discern it in their, their actions in the body, and maybe discern it out in the world. Maybe I can discern it, but I've baptized more than a few people who, who get up out of the baptistry, walk out that door. Some of them never come back. I mean, they hang around for a little while, and then, then they just disappear, right? I mean, this is epidemic in uh, what is called the modern church. So this is the quintessential de definitive verse regarding Christian conversion. You've got to be born again. Everything has to change. Or you're Christian in name only. The heart must change. You guys know the great text, Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. This is Old Testament. It's an Old Testament expression of you must be born again. You guys know it. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Old Testament expression of what Jesus is talking about in John 3, 3. You know, people, verse 5, people get confused about the, about the water. What is this? This is just a reference to Old Testament washing. You remember the Jews would always wash. This is a reference to that. In regeneration, in the born-again process, God does the washing, okay? That's really the, what, what that is a reference to. And again, you must be born of the Spirit. Religion is not going to make it happen for you. It will not make it happen for you. And I've always, again, loved the wind. You can't control the wind. Which of you can control the wind? Which of you can? None of you can. You have no hope. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going. It's like this for, who, for people who are born again. It's like this. It's mysterious. It's something only God can do. This is the whole point. This is the whole point of the New Testament. Only God can save His people. Churches can't. Prayers can't. Sacraments can't. Priests. No one can save. No one can... No one can convert salvation upon anyone. Now, I know denominations like to pretend they can manage it and control it and pronounce you a Christian. This is false. This is false. Okay? Your assurance can't be that I pronounced you a Christian. Your assurance has to be that you know God and you love God and you obey God and you follow God. That's, that can be, you know, people ask me, Jim, do you think I'm a Christian? I say, I can't answer that question. I don't know. This is why I was baptized. I prayed the prayer. I go to church almost every Sunday if it's not too inconvenient. I said, well, that's, that's, that's good. That's good. I have no idea if you're a Christian. Are you a Christian in light of John 3? John 3? Are you a Christian in light of that? Have you been born again? It, and it's, it's mysterious. Praise God for the handful of churches that I've been exposed to, even at my elderly age, right, that hold up this fact. Christian conversion is mysterious. It is not a formula. It's never been a formula. You need God to do a miracle. And it's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus tonight. He's saying, Nicodemus, you're nowhere. You're nowhere. You've lived your whole life as a perfect Jew. You're nowhere. You're nowhere. You need a miracle. You need a, a miracle in your heart, and you can't do it. You can't do it. But he's talking to one who can. He's talking to the one who can. You remember Jesus, you remember how he indicted the Pharisees in Matthew 23. You, you remember that great long dissertation there. 
And he, what did he say to the Pharisees? The most religious men ever. Who, who knows what he said? One of, the, one of the things he did say, whitewashed what? Tombs. You guys, you guys put on a real great religious show, right? You put on a religious show, but you're full of dead men's bones. Beloved, it's important that we understand these things in the context of the most famous verse in the Bible. Okay? This is how Jesus is talking. And this is how any, any God-called preacher would preach to you. Okay? Okay, it's obvious to you, we're not here to build a, an empire. <laughs> it's not what we do. You know, we're here to just preach the word and see what the Lord does, right? This is, this is what we try to do. You know, religion is like trying to cure cancer with a tan. I think that's a perfect analogy. It's trying to cure cancer with a tan. So, religion, including pseudo-Christianity, is always about what? It's about what men do. Biblical Christianity is about what God did and what God is doing. And I've told you this before. When you give your testimony, it doesn't need to be a whole lot about you. It needs to be about God. What did God do? Who is this God and what did He do in your life? Right? Who cares about the minor details of things in your life? And I'm not saying, hey, yeah, obviously you, you import how God's life has impacted you, but I, I've heard many testimonies. It's just all about them. If we're biblically literate, we know it has to be mostly about God. So if we are truly converted, we are God begotten. John 1.13, begotten of God, right? Begotten of God. Let's look at verse 9 and 10 here. Back to John 3. Nicodemus answered and he said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Nicodemus knows how to do religion. He does not know God. Again, epidemic in the modern church. People know, as we talked about, we know how to go to church. We know how to do that. And Nicodemus took it to the nth degree, right? Nicodemus... Nicodemus, perfect Jew. In our context, we would say the perfect Christian. He's the perfect Christian. The perfect Christian. And the Son of God says, you're nowhere. You are nowhere. You know how to do religion, but you do not know. You do not know me. I am your creator, and you do not know me. You are nowhere, Nicodemus. You are nowhere, but Jesus tells him what he tells him what must be done, right? Jesus starts to talk about what a man must do to be saved. And so let me just say, let me just interject. In John 3, 11 to 21, there's one key word. It's believe, right? It's believe, okay? This is the key word. This is the key word in, the, in this section of, of John 3. You must believe. You must believe. Believe it appears seven times in 11 verses. But before we get into that, I just want to lay the groundwork. What is the Bible talking about when it talks about believing? This is, a, this is huge for us to understand. We need to understand what the Bible is saying to us. The Bible interprets the Bible. 
You have to always remember this. The Bible will interpret the Bible. You're struggling with one issue. Well, what, is, what does the Bible say about it in other places? The Bible interprets the Bible. Therefore, we know what it doesn't mean. We know what belief doesn't mean. It doesn't simply mean I believe facts. It doesn't believe. It doesn't mean that. It can't mean that. Why can it not mean that? Who believes the facts? Who, who believes the facts? What does James tell us? Satan knows the facts and he believes them. Satan and the demons, they don't just know the facts. What does the text tell us over in James? They shudder at the facts. You know, it goes back to what we've been talking about for 10 weeks. If there's not some trembling in your life, have you really met the living God? Have you really met the living God? There's not some trembling, not some, as we talked about, reverence and awe, just reverence and awe of this great God, the demons believe. So genuine believing in the Bible, it's, it's palpable. Your friends know it. Your kids know it. Your coworkers know it. Your neighbors know it. Your spouse knows it. There's no such thing as a secret agent Christian. It's palpable. It's conspicuous. It's who you are. In the world, people know you're a, this guy's a Christian. He loves Jesus. He follows Jesus. Yeah, he's a sinner, just like, just like his pastor is. But I, he smells like God. One of, my, one of my seminary professors, he used to say this all the time, and I love it. He's, you smell like God. There's, a, there's an aroma. Is it Paul's letter to the Corinthians? There's an aroma of God upon the true believer. So it's conspicuous. Conversion, it's invisible like the wind but you will always see the effect of true conversion. It will be in the life. It cannot not be in the life. What does James 1.22 says? It says we will be doers of the word. This is what real believers, real believers do the word. We don't simply hear it and delude ourselves about it. Again, James 1 verse 22. And I love Titus 3.5. Let me read it to you, Titus 3, 5, on the miracle of regeneration. God saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done, not on, not on the basis of being a, a religious man, but according to his mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Spirit of God. It's a miracle. It's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. You need a miracle. You got to have a miracle. This is when I counsel people who want to be baptized. Has there been a miracle? How do you know there's been a miracle? You know, and what I want to hear is, man, I love Christ. And I, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm hungry for the word, you know. And, and, and I'm, I'm, my, I'm, I'm putting down my sin, you know. It's like I'm so convicted and, and things are just, you know, upheaved in my life. And, you know, this is the kind of thing I want to hear. This is the kind of thing that I hope to hear as I counsel. So, you know, we're Protestants. We, we're saved by Jesus, period. We don't need the church. We don't need the sacraments. We don't need Mary. We're saved by Jesus, right? By grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That's the biblical message. I don't need any man to do pronounce anything upon me. Not according to the scriptures. And I will say this, any 
any church that calls themselves Christian, but they have Jesus plus something, you got to do Jesus plus something. It's always false. It's always non-biblical. It's always demonic. Okay, Jesus plus something to be saved. It's always demonic. It is always demonic. So how does God call us? How does God call us to receive his love and gift of life? We must believe. That's what I'm trying to lay out for you. What is biblical belief? We must believe. It's a changed life. James 2, 17 and 20. Faith without works is what? Dead. If it's not, if if the people around you aren't feeling the breeze, (laughs) there's something wrong. The real wind hasn't come through yet. If, If the people around you aren't feeling the breeze. I always loved Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of uh, James 2.17, I think it is. Uh, this is his best paraphrase. He's the guy that wrote the Message Bible. It's not a Bible. It's a paraphrase of the Bible. But he wrote it. And I always, this is his best paraphrase, I think. He says, isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? Now, how many people do you know who claim to be a Christian? And they live just like the world, exactly like the world. They watch what the world watches. They like what the world likes. You know, they believe what the world believes. How many friends do you know like this? Eugene Peterson is right. It's outrageous nonsense. It's not only outrageous nonsense, it's an insult to God. Listen, be careful. Don't claim to be a Christian and then go out there and blaspheme him. Okay, and I'm not just talking about with your words. I'm talking about with your life. Do not claim to be a follower of Christ and then walk out into the world and blaspheme him with your deeds. I counsel you. I lovingly counsel you. Do not do this. Do not do this. This is an insult to God. Outrageous nonsense. God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense. So the word believe, as it's used in the text here, again, seven times, it means to commit, to trust, to place confidence in. And I love that in verses 15, 16, and 18 of our text, the, the, the verb is, it's a present active participle. What does that mean? Some of you grammar guys, Elaine knows, she's smart, she knows about grammar. She's shaking her head. It's a present active participle. It means that your faith, that you're believing, it's present, it's active, it's continually believing. It's like the wind never stops blowing in the Christian's life. It never stops blowing. It's always blowing, present, active, continuous. That's that's what the Bible's talking about when it's talking about belief. You know, I've heard many people say, oh, well, I, I was saved when I was eight, but I, I walked away from the Lord, you know, and, and uh, I'm not saying that people don't have lean times. But listen, if the wind has come through, you never categorically turn your back on God. Now, you may have a season of sin. I get all of that. I'm not denying that. I know how that is personally. OK. But there's something that, you know, you one, you hate your sin. And you want to you 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 want to get back. You gotta get back. Not that God has ever abandoned you, but you want to get back into the intimacy, right? You want to get back into the intimacy. So 
The wind never stops blowing. It is a lifestyle. Listen, I'm just going to give you a couple of verses here. This is how Jesus talked about belief, okay? Just a couple of verses. He said, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and what? Do it. Luke 8, 21. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Luke 6, 46. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You will keep my word. John 14, 15 and 23. One of my favorites. I remember my daughter asked me, how can I know I'm a Christian? You just go to John 10, right? You just go to John 10. What do the sheep do? What do the sheep do? They hear my voice. They know me. They hear my voice and they what? This is what real belief is. I follow, I'm following Christ. Present, active, continuous. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean that. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about the, 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 the supreme affection of your life. Okay? And it's Christ. And I do sin, but I repent. I, I confess and repent and I get back on the, on the path. Right? This is what we do as Christians. And you can, you can jump over there to verse 21. Of John 3, here it is. He who practices the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be seen as having been wrought in God. Okay? Belief is tangible. It's palpable. It's conspicuous. It always is in a biblical sense. If this is not true of your faith, you have every reason to question the legitimacy of your confession of faith. I say this to you lovingly. You have every reason to question the legitimacy of your, your profession of faith. If the wind's not blowing, if the wind is not blowing, okay? And listen, it's not a bad thing. You know, Paul, Paul told the Corinthians, right? He told the Corinthians, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. This is not, you know, some people get baptized. I think I was one of them. I was eight or nine or something, and the pastor said, now never, never doubt your salvation. Uh, actually, the Bible says, examine your salvation. Make sure. You know, eternity's a long time. Make sure. Make sure. That's what Paul says. Examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Look at your life. Is the wind blowing? Is the wind blowing? <laughs> to use the John 3 metaphor. Verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we have seen. And you do not receive our witnesses. Jesus is simply talking about when he, when he uses the plural there, he's talking about Father, Son, and Spirit, I believe, but also the, the witness of the disciples. I think both of those things are being said there. You know, Nicodemus has been saying, I don't get it. I don't get it. Jesus is saying, it's not that you don't get it. It's that you don't believe it. It's not that you don't get it. You don't believe it. And belief in, in a biblical sense is what? It's not an intellectual issue, ultimately. It's a moral issue, biblically. It's a moral, unbelief is a moral issue. Don't ever let one of your loved ones or friends get away with saying, I don't understand. They do understand. Romans 1 says that every man understands that he has a creator. It's our job to, you know, discover who he is and, and what, he, what he expects of us, right? It's not that men don't know, it's that they do know. Now, this is the biblical message. It's not that men don't know, it's that they do know. They do know. And we'll look at that Romans 1 text here in just a minute. Nicodemus is saying, man, how can, how can you go back into your mother's womb? I mean, he, this is obviously 
a, a foolish kind of argument. But, you know, Nicodemus, like many modern Christians, religion's just easier. It's just easier. I do religion. And I tell myself I'm good to go for eternity. But it's just easy to do religion. It's hard to walk with Christ sometimes. Well, we sing it, right? It is unspeakable joy on the one hand. But on the other hand, sometimes it's just real hard, right? People will, you know, turn their back on me. Family members will leave. Wives will divorce their husbands. Children will have nothing to do with you. You lose your job. You'll be ostracized. What did Jesus say? You will be hated. I'm hated. You'll be hated. Sometimes it's hard to be a Christian. Now, you know, it's, it's just, it just is. Let's be honest. Uh, some of you have experienced this because if you're vocal in the world, <laughs> if you're talking about Jesus, you know, people don't care if you talk about a generic God, but you start talking about Christ, you start talking about Jesus Christ, you know, the heat's going to come. In some, in some venues, the heat will come. Don't talk about God generically. You're not doing the person who's listening to you any favor. Do not talk about God generically. Talk about, you know, everybody believes in some kind of God unless they're the village idiot, right? There has to be an adequate first cause. Unless they're the village idiot, they believe in some kind of God, right? Okay? Don't talk generically about God. Use the name. Use the name. So it's not that Nicodemus doesn't get it, it's that he doesn't believe it. Biblical Christianity is not rocket science. You either believe it, and it's, and it's, a, it's palpable in your life, or you don't. This is the context of the most famous verse in the Bible about the love of God, okay? This is the context. So, verse 12. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? He's simply saying, notice he's, he's nailing Nicodemus on the core issue. It's not about intellectual understanding. Again, it's a moral issue. It's always a moral issue. Verse 13, and no one has ascended into heaven, but he who has descended from heaven, even the son of man. Jesus is saying he is the son of man. He's calling himself the son of man, which is a prophetic title for Messiah from Daniel 7. He uses this title in the New Testament, uses this title for the Son of God 88 times in the New Testament. One thing Jesus is saying, I am the God-man. When he calls himself the Son of Man, he's saying, I am the God-man. I'm God, I'm man. Here I am, right? One of the things that he is saying. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Verses 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He's obviously talking about his cross. This is an incident in the Old Testament Exodus, right? People had offended and insulted God, and the serpents were attacking. Many were dying, and God instructed Moses to, to uh, put up a serpent that the people could look at in faith. And Jesus is saying, I'm just like that. You're going to have to look at me in faith. That's what he's saying to this learned Jew who, who knows exactly what happened in the Exodus. This is what he's saying. Verse 15, that whoever believes may in him have eternal life, right? Whoever believes. Isn't that beautiful? Whoever believes. <laughs> whoever believes may have eternal life. Okay, what does it mean? What does belief mean? Present, active, continual. It always means this. 
You got to know your grammar sometimes. The grammar really helps, right? Present, active, continuous. And so, you know, and he talks about eternal life there in verse 15. And, I, and you guys know this, right? Eternal life is not simply, I'm going to live a long time. I mean, how boring could that possibly, it could be possibly boring to just live a long time. It's about, it's, it's about the, the beautiful, infinite life of God in us, right? We're tasting the joy, as John 17 says, the joy of God, the glory of God. We taste it. We don't, he's not sharing his glory with us, but in some mysterious way, if you read the John 17 text, we, we will taste the glory. And here we are, John 3.16. Famous, most famous verse in the Bible. And as I said to you earlier, I'll just read it for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In a very simplistic sense, the gospel is here. The whole gospel is here. We see God's love. It's pure and perfect, eternal, infinite, gracious, and holy. And here's where many today presume upon God. Okay? I want you to hear me. They can quote John 3.16 and let's go ahead and read it. John 3.17 For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through Him. And they take these verses and they turn it into universalism. Oh, God's, God loves everybody. God's going to save everybody. Which of course is antithetical to most of the rest of the Bible. He's not going to save everybody. He clearly says he's not going to do it. Some will be cast into the lake of fire. He's talking about there in John 3, 16. He says, you will not perish. What does it mean to perish? We, under, we understand it. Revelation, was it 21? That, that, that they'll be cast into the lake of fire, the second death. The most famous verse in the Bible, talking about the love of God, it, in context, is referencing the second death. It's referencing the, the fierce wrath of God in judgment. Let's not be naive. Right? Let's have integrity with the Bible. I don't want you to ever forget that the most famous verse in the Bible about the love of God, Jesus is talking about those who will perish by inference. You need to remember this, beloved. You need to... Remember these things. <laughs> the, verse, the verse itself, John 3.16, it says that God doesn't cease to be righteous. And, 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 and by inference, it says God doesn't cease to be righteous and holy. God doesn't cease to be angry with those who practice sin. God doesn't cease to judge those who have rejected his son. God doesn't say that, oh, I'm just going to give a free pass to everybody because I'm so cuddly and huggable. That's not what he says. Some will perish, and as we get down into the next few verses, we see that judgment actually is coming. It is coming. Verse 16, whoever believes. All right, let's revisit. What does belief mean? Whoever believes. Have you believed? Have you believed? Present, active, continuous? Is it palpable? Is it conspicuous? Is there aroma? <laughs> okay, that's what he's talking about. Not talking about facts and creeds and doctrinal statements. He's talking about a born again reality. The verse says, those who believe will not perish. 
And of course, the implication is those who do not believe will perish. And he, he fleshes that out in the next few verses. Some will perish. Again, the second death. Revel- Here it is in my notes. It's Revelation 20, not Revelation 21. So that is the second death. Verse 18. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son. So again, judgment immediately after John 3:16 Jesus starts talking about judgment for those who do not believe, those who do not have a present active continuous kind of faith. They may have a religious kind of faith like Nicodemus, but it is not a saving faith. Okay? This is the clear teaching of the word of God. So in Jesus' first coming, he comes to, to save. In his second coming, he will come to judge. He'll receive his people to himself, and he will judge all who are in rebellion against him. And of course, Jesus says, you've already been judged, right? It's not simply that you will be, you have been. You've rejected the only way of salvation. You've been judged already, those who have rejected Christ, you have been judged already. It's like mankind says, you know, religion's better. It makes me feel good about myself. Like Nicodemus, right? Mankind says, I'll just put a little religion in there. I'm not worried about the relationship. Kind of like Nicodemus. I'll trust in my own piety and my self-righteousness, you know, kind of like Nicodemus. Some say, well, we'll make ourselves and our temporal pleasures the center of our lives. That'll be our hope. That'll really be the focus of our lives. Like, much of the world. We'll treasure our health, wealth, and prosperity more than God, like many so-called Christian denominations. We'll create our own gospel, you know, one that's pretty much all about us, and it fits into our, our very luxurious lifestyle. So he's indicting not only the religious, but the irreligious here, and he's bringing to the fore the absolute insult it is to believe that you can be reconciled to God by religion. This is a backhanded insult. That you think you can come to God through your religion. Let's finish up. Verse 19. And this is the judgment that the light is come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Verse 20. For everyone who does evil, he hates the light. He does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. This is why so many false teachers in so many false denominations. This is why they don't preach a text like this. Okay. Okay. They're just going to tickle your ears. There's no way you'll ever, you know, ever wonder, well, am am I still in darkness? You'll, you'll never even, that question will never even be posed to you. I look forward to these men being judged. These false men and women who purport to preach the Bible and hold up some effeminate Christ, right? I look forward to when they get their just desserts. Does that make me, does that make me not compassionate? Listen, I hope they repent, but if they don't, as the, as the saints in heaven pray, uh, oh God, when will you release your vengeance? When will you release your vengeance? So, men love the darkness. You know this if you were converted as an adult, right? You you loved it. I loved it. I was converted at 28. I loved it. I loved the darkness. 
I did. So we know who mankind, this is a, a really a picture of who mankind is. It's that Romans 1 thing, right? For even though they knew God, they did not honor God or give God thanks. This is sin enough, okay? You don't honor God in your family or in your work or in your neighborhood or in your hobbies. You don't honor God. You don't give thanks to God. This is who natural man is. And I've already read verse 21 where Jesus fleshes out what belief is. It's, it's, it's deeds. They are the deeds that are wrought of God in our lives. Presently, actively, continually wrought of God. So do me a favor. Will you do me a favor? When you go out in the world, you go to your next church, whatever, and somebody brings up John 3.16, will you, will, you, will you give them the context? Will you tell them that God is first talking about the, the mysterious election and salvation of His people? You must be born again, and you can't do it. Okay? And then after John 3.16 is the judgment that will fall on all who are perishing because they reject Christ. Let's have some integrity. Let's learn to speak like adults. Let's learn to speak like we, you know, we, we've read our Bibles and we understand them, okay? Let's don't offer anybody a cheap gospel, okay? God just loves you so much. You know, half the truth is what? What is half truth? A lie. So let's have some integrity. Let's have some integrity. Let's pray together.